Welcome back to the Blue Room. This is a special one, this episode. I have been working with our guest, Marilyn Williams, for a number of years now. She is a therapist, a coach, a teacher, a guru, as you will hear. And today is episode two of our series on Hope, a user's manual. And today we look at what hope is. If you read the book, you know that I really try to look at hope from a number of different angles and not come to any kind of definitive conclusions, but give us a lot of different access points for thinking about hope and what it is and how it's embodied in our lives and how it's lived out. So there are many different ways to think about hope, but for the podcast, I wanted to talk to a mental health professional about how hope works, how it's cultivated emotionally and practically, how we live it out in really practical embodied ways. And so I really loved this conversation with Marilyn. Marilyn Finch-Williams is a psychotherapist, neurofeedback practitioner, and founder of the Median Center for Resilience and Brain Training. She has degrees in international relations and social work and began her career working with families of terrorist victims at the Department of State. She has been a certified Enneagram teacher in the narrative tradition. She has studied Enneagram with Helen Palmer and David Daniels and Richard Rohr, among others. She's been an individual and family therapist for more than 30 years with primary training in multi-generational family process with Rabbi Ed Friedman. Rabbi Friedman is the author of Generation to Generation, Family Process in Church and Synagogue and a Failure of Nerve. And if you are in church leadership land, you know Friedman's work around family systems. It is really, really valuable stuff. And you might hear a little bit of it in our conversation. Marilyn is also a former adjunct professor at the George Mason School of Social Work and is a lecturer, speaker, trainer, consultant, and retreat leader and provides supervision for candidates for clinical licensure. I loved this conversation because I love to sit back and just listen to Marilyn Cook, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Well, why don't we start with you just telling me a little bit about how you got into the work that you are doing? I mean, that's not a story that I've ever heard you tell. Oh, so how did that come about? Wow. I came to Washington and I was a government major. I was very interested in the government and this was the early seventies. And I, I had a relative that I was very, he had had a career in a foreign service and I decided in, again, early seventies, if you're old enough, this was the time to change the world. So I, I came to Washington to change the world and I got an undergraduate degree in international relations and I was going to go into the foreign service and I worked for the office for combating terrorism, long, longer story, but I ended up working with families of hostage you know, incidents and hostage and terrorist acts. And I felt very impotent on a macro level. I was, you know, I saw what it took to become a diplomat and change the world and and really decided that I could change the world more one person at a time. That's how I did it. And I went to, I had a couple jobs between leaving the State Department, but I applied to graduate school not far and I knew my gift. Plus, I mean, in all honesty, I got into some therapy myself because I this was, had been my goal and I was really lost at the time, like what to do. 
And, you know, I, I think one of the best trainings for being a therapist and a coach is to be a client yourself and know how it helps you. And it certainly helped me and that got me interested. So mm-hmm. that yeah. is how I got in this field. Yeah. Well, you anticipated one of my questions, which was, did the idea of changing the world still factor in? And do you still, and I'm curious now, having been at it for how many, how many years have you been? Uh, I started in school in 81 and it, it for, so, um, God, uh, 40, wow. yeah, 40, 40 yeah. some years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. still frame it that way? I'm, I'm changing the world. And is that helpful or not helpful? You know, because we, I think there's a lot of you, that kind of youthful idealism comes, comes yes, into play yes. and we that's maybe reframe that as we age, but I'm curious how that sits with you now. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I, you know, my first response is now more than ever, you know, I mean, in the sense that it drove me then, but I don't think I had an awareness. I mean, obviously I don't, don't have an awareness of what I have now, but I really do believe that you know, the work that I do with the people who are motivated the way they are, that it has a ripple effect. And ultimately, I don't know if it's useful to mention this, but my mentor is a guy named Ed Friedman, who you and I bonded over that. But, you know, he always felt like if he worked with the most motivated person that or the leadership, another way of saying it, the the leadership in the family or the, or whoever was motivated to change that the, the sort of higher up the hierarchy that person was the more effect that that person's growth could have. So he didn't feel like you had to work with the whole family. He was more like work where the leadership is and where the head is. So yeah, I still want to make the world a better place. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I believe one person has an effect on that. So that's a good Mm. question. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I have no idea if this is like a huge question or not. So you can just come at it with, from whatever angle, but I wondering what you think. So let me back up and just tell you uh, that this will be episode two of the six seasons of, or six episodes of the season going along with the book. And it's meant to, conversations are meant to kind of stand alongside the book, not necessarily comment on it. And this one is slotted into the section that's what hope is. I mean, what what is hope? And I guess I want to find out from you, maybe just initial thoughts of how does hope connect to our psychological or emotional health Mm -hmm. or the way we think about what it means to flourish in our own personhood? How does hope fit into that? That is a big question. <laughs> what, what what I can tell you is the way I would think that I think of hope is that it's an existential thing. Like I, I was just reading, I was I studied up a little bit to talk to you, but I, there was this article. Um, do you know a woman named Margaret Wheatley? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I read her book. She she I think she may be the person who coined the word hopium. But there's a quote in one of her articles that it's actually a quote by uh, Vaclav Havel, and he said, "Hope is a dimension of the soul." Mm. I like that you know notion is is that like we as humans will go to hope, but. I think in reference to your question about, well, there were lots of aspects of your question, but what I zeroed in on was the term hopelessness. Mm. 
because in my field, that is, you're familiar with the DSM and all that other stuff, you know, that for listeners, diagnostic and statistical manual, it's, it's the shrinks Bible is like, sometimes I like to call it, but, and it has like very little relation to reality a lot of times. So I'll put it that way, but anyway, they, the word hopelessness is often associated with depression and that kind of thing. So it's, it's something you, I come up against a lot. The way I think of it is that hope for a lot of people tends to mean hopeful hmm. as in, hmm. as in, you know, that I am hopeful that things will be different than how they are. And, and, you know, the more concrete a picture has, somebody has for what that would look like, you know, probably the more disappointed they're going to be, you know, in some respects. So the same is true for hopeless, you know, like, like all of them are attached to some outcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I like to say is that, you know, hope is a, is a thought, not a, a, a people treat it like a thought, not a feeling mm-hmm. rather than, and this whole notion about it being an aspect of the soul, you know, I think that things are always changing. So what does mm-hmm. that mean? If, if hope is not attached to a specific outcome, then there's always hope, you know, like, like, I mean, be, meaning things will always change, mm. but it, but if you've got a particular construct you know, like hope is this, there is hope for this, there is hope, you know, like that's when, um, yeah, I mean, that's when you begin to have those thoughts about, well, it's hopeless. No, you know, I am not going to be really sort of try to challenge people to do is looking at their, the the difference between thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because our brain secretes thoughts the way a gland secretes saliva, right? So mm-hmm. the, the, we can't stop the thoughts. They're just produced. But we can, you know, question the veracity of it. And we, you know, we can question, is that really true? You know, do you have, I have a friend who says, do you have 100% cosmic certainty that that's true? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling just a little bit, but, but what I try to help people see is that, that hopeless and hopeful are thoughts. They're yes. not that, you know, and if you can, if you have the ability that whatever we want to call it, the compassionate witness, the observer mm-hmm. that can see it as a thought, mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing it as the truth then, you know, I heard it, or I read somewhere where the, the, the half-life between <laughs> being able to say, um, oh, I'm never going to amount to anything, right? And I think I'm never going to amount to anything. There's a half-life between those two. Do you see, like, you're even admitting that, mm-hmm. that I'm, I think that, like, I think I'm ugly versus I'm ugly. Mm-hmm. You see the difference, mm-hmm. the, you know, and so, so that's kind of what I do with people who are convinced, you know, of, of the hopelessness. Well, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you know, you and I have, have talked about this a lot um, in terms of it's been a very heavy several years and this even mm-hmm. predates pandemic, you know, the, the past several years have been hard for, for many of mm-hmm. us. We feel like we're living in a, different kind of country than we thought we were, you know, all yeah. of these sorts of things. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious kind of 
maybe even for people who wouldn't be DSM diagnosable depressed, you know, that hopelessness, what are you noticing in terms of what people are kind of carrying around in terms of hope, hopelessness, um, just any kind yeah. of, I mean, without obviously going into, sto- you know, specific stories, yeah. but are there trends or things that you have kind of noticed? What an interesting, I mean, that really is an interesting question. You know, as you know, I, tend to hold a bias that the healthiest people that I know are the ones that come to see me, you know, meaning, meaning they're, they're, I mean, think about how many people you wish kind of would ask, thought they could benefit from help. Like, you know, I could name a lot of public figures who I, you know, wish were aware, (laughs) but, but um, there's a lot of hopelessness, meaning there, there are a lot of old, well, I mean, even, whatever dialogue we have about our democracy and stuff like that. I mean, I think that there's stuff that we sort of have taken for granted that assumed that look to be falling apart, you know, if that will. And um, so I, I think there there is a lot of hopelessness, but again, back to our original discussion, that it's attached to a certain outcome, you know, because it's, it, the hopelessness is content related. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, somebody, I think it might've been Fowler that, you know, the guy who did the stages of faith, you know, uh, he talked about, but, but he talked about, you know, the highest level of faith is doubt. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, the, this notion that the highest level of wisdom is to know that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I see is ironically, along with this hope, lessness there's there are a lot of people who are very hopeful mm-hmm. meaning meaning that that this is sort of the um, the destruction before construction like mm-hmm. like something has to fall apart there there are a lot of things that we could talk whether it's about race or a number of other things that are coming to light now that didn't see the light before you know and i wonder you know how much of the hopelessness is because, you know, all this is being shown. And so I, I do think there are a lot of people walking around in despair, but, but if you, and I'm aware of it, but there's a certainty about their despair, you know, that, that, that is, is, is like, look, well, this could fall apart. Well, yeah, in your lifetime, I mean, I'm fond of saying these days, you know, I don't think I'm going to see the complete transformation of the patriarchal white male in the, in the, um, or the power of that in my lifetime, but things are, things are changing, mm-hmm. you know, th- things are there, there are pockets think about, it. I mean, all the ways that people with mental issues with, with emotional issues, with addiction, I mean, we're, we're, we're treating them much more in a humane way. You know, but the other thing I sh- I should also say is is that the brain is geared for survival to pay attention to the negative. Mm, mm. You know, because mm-hmm. because it, it 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 has to pay attention to what it's afraid of because it sustains life. But um, like if a tiger is running toward me, hopefully I'll feel afraid. Mm-hmm. But most of our fears are are in our head, like if I'm sitting here comfortably, nobody is physically attacking me, then the only thing that's making me unhappy right now is my thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? So so that, but even that kind of stuff was not talked about before, 
you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It really, mm-hmm. r- really wasn't. And, and so I, I see both. And I see, you know, certainly the last election, um, it, you know, I've heard that there are a whole lot more of the younger generation that are involved, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that, that, you know, they're more equipped to handle than I am, you know, so, so I'm, I'm, I think we have to train and talk about a change of consciousness. I think to some degree, we have to train our mind not to deny what's going on, but to be curious about it and to train our mind to, okay, is there something else that's going on here? But we not, I, I wrote a, I read a quote. What was it somewhere? Oh, this was <laughs> the Dalai Lama. So mm-hmm. he says, um, the reward of patience is patience. Years ago, the Dalai Lama counseled a group of my colleagues who were depressed about the state of the world to be patient. Do not despair, he said. Your work will bear fruit in 700 years or so. <laughs> yes. I'm easy for someone who's had a lot of lifetimes and knows it, you know, right. but that, that sort of thing. <laughs> yes. So I, I actually do. I, I mean, I, I don't think it will be in my lifetime where see, but I think right now we happen to live in, in one of those times, like, like Ken Burns talked about, there were three civil wars, you know, there were the civil war. There was, um, I mean, we're talking, I'm talking just American, you know, but, but um, the period during the Vietnam war and now, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, there's a little Anne Frank in me that I, I believe people are good at heart. And I believe today's um, what's going on is catalyzing those people in a way that we won't hear about. I was talking to a group a few weeks ago and I, of course, as you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about in the book talks about our oldest child and and what we went through with Caroline and, and uh, Caroline's mental health. And that in some ways I had to kind of set hope aside in order to be present to whatever was yes. happening. And as you have yes. said many times, we don't know the future. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a question about that, that phrase in a minute, but I was, I was saying this, I said, to ask my kid to have hope or to say, I'm hopeful for you. Sometimes I felt like I needed to say that. And other times it felt like a burden yes. to just like, what if we just are where we are now and, and what do you need right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and someone came up to me after, and she said, you know, I have been where your daughter is uh, or has been um, in a, in a really profound depression. And I just could not see hope at all to your point about mm-hmm. the, the DSM. Mm-hmm the hopelessness. And, and she said, I needed my husband to, to say, I have hope that, that this will pass. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I said, I just pressed on it a little bit. I said, did you need that? Uh, I mean, am I hearing you right? That like, Mm -hmm. he told you that, and that was important for you to hear, or were you able to receive that in that? I mean, if you, Mm -hmm. if you're feeling hopeless, if somebody says, well, I have hope for you, you're like, Mm-hmm. So what, you know? Right. And, and I guess I, I wonder what, what did she say? What did she, she said, say? oh, and she actually kind of, kind of revised a little bit. She's like, you know, now that you mention it, um, yeah, that, that wasn't helpful at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know whether what I was seeing or maybe inflicting upon her, hopefully that not in an unhelpful way was sort of deconstructing the way we think about hope where it's something we exactly. give to someone. Right. And that, right. but, but also 
one of the things that's come out in these interviews, because I'm doing them all out of order, is some people saying, for me to to flourish in my own life, I just need to set hope aside. And I think mm-hmm. it's the hope that you're describing of hope right. that right. something will happen, right? You're, um, right? So maybe we're all kind of describing the same thing in different ways. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. But I wonder... You know, when you're dealing with folks who maybe feel that sense of hopelessness, I assume that you don't see it your job to to lift up hope. Uh, I mean, what what do you see, think your role is? And 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 I'm to extrapolate out because we're all walking one another home, as Ram Dass said. Yes, like, exactly. What is our right. job with with one another when someone is feeling that hope hopelessness? Yeah. What a, what a great question. You, you know, like 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 you know, obviously, I would explore. You know, what are they? hope less about. <laughs> um, I would also, um, I mean, first I would just affirm that they have the thought, you know, I, I think that, that there's this notion of, around the certainty of what their hope, you know, their, their, their hopeful. I like, I like your idea of setting it aside a little bit, but, but that, you know, I've used this phrase with you a lot about reassurance is one of the best ways to let somebody know that you're not listening to them, you know, so that, so that, you know, in my work, you know, I have to really sort of work on myself to know that, that my job isn't just to make somebody feel better, but uh, there is something about depression for sure that, that literally, you know, the brain waves that actually help the brain have positive thoughts are not getting the right neurochemicals. And so like this person in front of me really truly doesn't have the brain waves that support thinking anything mm-hmm. positive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think affirming that they feel that, but just questioning, can you be absolutely certain that what you're, that, that this will not change? You know, mm-hmm. how can you be certain, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Like even, um, you know, a lot of people will they'll talk about, um, you know, talk about suicide, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll talk about um, be, because the hopelessness and, and most people don't want to die. They want to stop hurting and they don't believe they're going to. And I remember, um, you know, some of my darkest days when, of course, you know, the thought crossed my mind, um, not in terms of had, had crossed my mind, but but it's more of what I call a lack of will to live. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I, I read somewhere, it's like how somebody would ask, how do you know that the pain will end with suicide? Oh, wow. It. Mm. It ru- ruined it for me forever. I, I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, it's not, funny. I mean, but the no, point right, is it's right. sort of like, you know, I mean, those kinds of thoughts went out the window, you know, once I had children, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but, but somebody's sitting across from me. And that is one of the things that I will ask is how mm-hmm. do you know that will end the pain? Mm. Right. You, you know, which, which throws you into, again, there's this lack of certainty and, and the, the, you know, I will usually, but, but what I, what I do is affirm the way they feel, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really important. It's like, of course, you know, mm-hmm. but hope is always in somebody's mind projected into the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what I will do with somebody like that is, can you tell me you really know what's going to happen in the future? I mean, I had a friend who used to say, he was an addictions counselor, and he used to say, 
if you know the future, you and I are going to the track tomorrow because I don't want to work so hard. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, in the, that kind of sense. Yes. So, you know, I, and then I go to helping people with how do you soothe yourself? How do you not fight? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you not resist where you are? Because I, I, again, this is maybe leads down another train of thought. If somebody has feeling hopeless, right. That, um, you know, you know, how do you just sort of, you know, just not fight that, but say, mm-hmm. okay, there's a part of me that has these thoughts, but there's a part of me that, that is watching myself have these thoughts. Right. You right. know, and how do you, how would you soothe another thing that I often do is, and and this is right down your alley, but what would you say to your children? You know, but, but I think sometimes reassurance is not helpful, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but say, you know, like, it's more questioning the person's thinking at the time. Yes. Right. You know, there's right. certainty. There's certainty. Yes, so the certainty. Certain, right. the certainty that yes. that's, you know, well, and that's something that you have, that has been so helpful about our conversations. And you have said it to me many times, just the simple idea that you don't know the future. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know what it is about me that, that finds that comforting um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are times I don't where I'm like, what's lurking around the corner, mm-hmm. right? Right. But right. for the most part, I'm like, oh, things could change tomorrow and mm-hmm. and open up in a way. And and even healing isn't linear either. So you could be exactly. in the depths of, of despair today and things can take a turn quickly. They don't always. They, mm-hmm. maybe they don't even mm-hmm. most of the time. I don't know. But like they can. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I also know, I mean, I'm now serving a a congregation that's, you know, I mean, the institutional kind of weight um, to preserve the status quo, to kind of keep things going. And I'm not pointing fingers at any particular institution I'm currently serving. It's true of institutions. Like we we need to keep going. They have their own evolutionary Mm -hmm. thrust, right? Is not to trust the future. And so to hear you don't know the future is deeply threatening. Right. Yes, and I, and I yes, just wonder yes. how, I mean, if you have any words of wisdom or, or huh, you know, how do you yeah. work with people for whom that's a threatening thought to say that we don't know the future. We want to control yeah. the future. And, and um, what's the, what was the, I mean, God bless Obama, but you know, winning, win the future, you know, that was one yeah, of his yeah, 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 once upon a yeah. time. And you're like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe keep workshopping right. that one, but like right. how, yeah. Anyway, how do you help someone for whom the idea of an open-ended future feels very scary? <laughs> That's another quote. I re- I love quotes. Someday I'm just going to write a book of quotes, but it's a, you know, the, the dealing with uncertainty is not, is, it's for people who can tolerate insecurity. Mm. So it, it's interesting. So how do, how do I deal with people who, who, or, or just in general, people who are certain about the future. I mean, they don't like that uncertainty. You know, I, I guess I I do, I mean, not guess, I really truly believe, and this may be, this is where hope comes in. Our future is built by what we do right now. Like it's not, the future being uncertain doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have a role in making it, the kind of future that we, I mean, you're, you're great at this. It's like, it, it's sort of, what do we do next? Like, like, I, I think I told you once, and this was a wake up call for me, this notion that, 
judgment is is not so much about right or wrong, but judge, I mean, it is, that's judgmentalness. But judgment is also about this notion of things should not be the way they are, okay? And so I see somebody sitting on the street homeless and I might get angry because I can't believe that, that, you know, in whatever form I do, that this person is there. That, that it was pointed out to me that that person is already there. So I am arguing with reality that he shouldn't be there because he's there, mm-hmm. right? But it matters what I do next. Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 you know, if I'm not arguing with what is. So if somebody, let's say they're arguing with the notion that, that the future is uncertain, it, it, it's more about, well, what can I do? to build the kind of future I would like to see having, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I know I've told you this story too, but, but um, this is the problem with you get somebody who's been doing this for 40 years, they have a lot of stories, but I actually had the, I was fortunate enough to be in a retreat one time. It was a small, a small retreat that was led by Thich Nhat Hanh for, for, Congress and their staff. I was doing some work with um, retreats and that kind of thing with congressional staff. And this was a very select, and there turned out to be an opening. So the guy who arranged it asked me, you know, there were several people now who, whose names you would recognize that that are, um, who were there. And there was a big divide, you know, then, you know, they talked about the polarization and he he so one of the people who who is a, actually a senator now asked, you know, what do we do about the the divide? And he turned to them and said, he turned to this person and said, "How do you treat your staff?" And I mean, it wasn't. He said, "How do you do you get along with your neighbor? How's your family?" You, you know, like like he started down these questions, and it just it, I just got I don't know what you got, but I just got chills when I said that it, it, that. That the idea is this uncertainty. It's like really looking at the immediacy of how are you dealing with your life right now? You know, like like are you being kind to people? I mean, or or being kind to yourself. Actually, I'll even go more minute than that, is starting with the self. Mm-hmm. Like, is it yeah. is it okay that I just got shamed by taking that on? Right. You know, like I'll go off from that and go, Oh God, I yelled yes. at my child this morning, you know, right. but, but the point, but there's always something to do from here out. My real purpose in thinking about the book and, and what hope really is to me is hope is whatever gives us the agency to act in a purposeful way. Right. And so it's I not a that. feeling yes. or a prediction or a kind of, you know, it's and so in some ways, maybe that is a broad enough definition that maybe hope loses all meaning. <laughs> but to me, it's like a helpful definition of hope because I can do something with it. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not all I mean, about me and what I do. But yeah. Yeah. I, I think the idea just about about hope not being attached to a, a, to anything else. Hope is love. You know, hope is like like I mean, it's sort of believing that. um you know, if I cut myself right now, my body generates all the stuff it knows to do to heal, you know, it'll block off cells that will look like inflammation and swelling, and I'll get a scab and all all that other stuff. You know, I didn't do that, you know, but that's hope in the universal, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that it just exists, change exists. I, I, I believe the universal energy 
is geared toward healing. The other, the other stuff is, you know, so maybe that, Ooh, I just got to tell, maybe hope is just healing and evolving. You know I mean? That, that leaf that, that drops on the ground, that's going to become some compost to grow something else in next year. And I know that's all cliche, but, but there's always hope. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't know, you know, because there's always the healing energy is there. It just maybe as the Dalai Lama said in 700 years, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it, it, yeah. it's that, you know, it's, it's yep. the certainty that your thoughts are correct. So yes, we're back to the thoughts, mm -hmm. mm. you know, so we came back to where we started. So yeah, good. so good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I'm going to call it because we could talk for hours and hours I, I more, know, but I thank know. you so, I, so much. Thank you so much for joining us in the blue room and a huge thanks to Marilyn Williams. Please check my website, MarianneMcKibbenDana.net for more on my work. And if you liked this episode, you know the drill, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. I'm Marianne McKibben Dana speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Caroline Dana and Mel Dana. Thank you, as always, for listening. Steady on.